Hello, and welcome to episode 35 of The Witcher, chapter-by-chapter book review, where I'll go through a summary of what happened in the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today, I'm discussing chapter 7, the final chapter, from Baptism of Fire. Really quick announcement before I get into it. There's not going to be an episode next week. If you are listening to this at least two weeks out, then this doesn't apply to you. You can ignore me for a second. But if you are listening to it within that time frame, then this does apply to you. And I think I did mention this before that uh, in between books, I'm going to start taking a week off, give myself a little bit of time to catch up. Because right now I'm recording this Friday night and I'm uploading it tomorrow morning. I upload these every Saturday and I just recorded it the night before. And that's not a good feeling. (laughs) So I I need time to get caught up. And I figure in between books is a good time to do that. So don't expect an episode next week, but in two weeks, you can expect one. And it will be chapter one of the Tower of Swallows. Speaking of the Tower of Swallows, actually, I noticed, I think it was on YouTube. I started to listen to the first chapter on audiobook. I usually try to listen to it on audiobook at least once. Um, And I just physically read the or I read the physical book uh, most of the time that I'm going through the chapter getting ready for the podcast episode. And I noticed, I think that this is where I saw it on YouTube, was that the, I think it was the narrator, the guy, Peter Kenny, and then even the title of the YouTube video for the audiobook, it said, The Tower of the Swallow. And I thought, wait, have I gotten that wrong this whole time? I thought it was The Tower of Swallows. And I looked at my copy of the book, it says the Tower of Swallows, but then I I looked it up and I mean, he said it, the Tower of the Swallow. So I thought that was kind of strange, but that might just have something to do with there being more than one publisher. It's not a big deal, it really doesn't matter. But I figured that I would bring it up really quick (laughs) because uh, I don't know, maybe your copy says something different than what I'm gonna be calling it, but I, I'm just gonna go with what my copy says, which is the Tower of Swallows. I'm not gonna say the Tower of the Swallow. I don't know which one translates. I don't know, maybe there's something with the Polish to English translations and that's why there's two different versions of it or two different titles, why the different publishers called it one thing, the other, I don't know. So that's just something I wanted to clear up as well. In addition to my week off, Uh, Although I'm not really taking any time off from this. I'm going to try to keep going at the same pace, but it would be nice to have an extra video, especially if I want to like take a trip and not have to worry about getting this uploaded. You know, just as much as I enjoy doing this, I I, I don't like having it hanging over my head. (laughs) And I did kind of do this to myself. I just got lazy a little bit and pushed, pushed off getting these recorded. It takes a lot of time though. This is time consuming. And I don't want to sound like I'm complaining. I'm not. It's just, <laughs> I'm just explaining why it, uh, why I, I was, it was so easy for me to fall behind with it. But it is what it is. Here we are. And my workaround is to take a week off in between books. So a week off between Baptism of Fire and The Tower of Swallows. And then there will be a week off between that and Lady of the Lake. And then a week off between that and Season of Storms. So... Sorry if you hear a siren right now. I, I heard it in the headphones, so I was like, okay, the microphone's picking that up. Sorry if you heard that. Let's go into the episode by starting out with the recap of last episode, last chapter, and then the summary of the final chapter, bat- bleh, Baptism of Fire. 
Okay, so for the recap, Francesca reintroduced Yennefer to the story when she unpacked her after turning her into a figurine during the Thaned coup. She brings her and her elven sage friend Ida Amin to the second lodge meeting where they discuss how they'd like Ciri to become the 12th member so they can make her the Queen of the North and influence the state of the world. Meanwhile, Dijkstra found one of Vilgefortz's hideouts and discovered the evil mage has been killing and violently experimenting on young pregnant women. Also, Ciri is still killing and robbing with the rats, but a bounty hunter, Leo Bonehart, who's already interested in collecting a reward for the rats, has been sent by Tawny Owl, or Stefan Skellen, to kill her. Scary stuff. Okay, here's what happened in Chapter 7. We return to Geralt and his company after a short break, on their way to finding the druids who may help them locate Ciri. Regis explains to an anxious dandelion in Milva that he is a recovered addict and does not drink blood. He also dispels some other common myths about vampires. During their travels, they come across a camp of dwarves who turn out to be Zoltan and his group, except for Caleb, who sadly was killed during the Nilfgaardian ambush at the refugee camp. They have some new additions to their group, though, including the girl who was being tried by a priest for witchcraft and colluding with a vampire back at the camp. Regis tends to the burn wounds she received when the wagon she was tied to caught fire. To ease her suffering, he sedates her using a sort of vampiric spell that leads her to going into a trance and prophesizing about death within Geralt's company. Geralt and Zoltan's groups travel together for half a day and decide to split up, but before they do, Zoltan gives Geralt his special Mahakam Forged Sword. Because they're surrounded by soldiers who are no friends to the group, whether they be Nilfgaardian or Temerian, Geralt and Regis decide to take the company through a dangerous wilderness to avoid the armies altogether. But they change their plans when they discover that Milva is pregnant. At first, she wants to use an agent Regis made for her to terminate the pregnancy, but after a talk with Geralt, she decides she wants to have the baby. The group comes across the ferry on the Uruga River, and they threaten the ferryman to take them downriver. All seems to be going well until the recently conjoined Lyrian and Rivian armies, and later part of the Nilfgaardian army, keeps shooting at them. The ferryman and his helper get shot, as well as Regis, which is fine, since he can't die that way. As they're approaching a bridge that's holding retreating northern soldiers, they stop the ferry and get out as Milva is having a miscarriage. Regis tends to her, and Geralt and Cahir lead a counterattack on the advancing Nilfgaardian troops. They successfully hold them back to help Milva, and the Northerners are victorious. After the battle, Geralt is knighted by Queen Meave of Lyria. Alrighty. I wanted to start out the discussion by talking about the opening of this chapter, because I didn't talk about it in the summary, but there was this sort of like meta chapter opening. So what's going on is it's supposed to be a century after the events of the story. There's this old traveling man telling the story that we're reading to a group of peasant kids. So they're all asking to hear more about either Yennefer, Ciri, or Geralt, and they end up deciding on Geralt, and then the chapter follows him. But this old man, though, he does provide brief updates on Yen and Ciri. So he says that Yen teleported out of Monte Calvo and ended up in the ocean, but landed on the Skellige Islands, where she found allies. Allies makes me hopeful that she'll be safe and get help. He also does confirm, though, that she believed Vilgefortz to have Ciri, so next time we see her, I think we can expect that she's going to be hunting him down, which isn't good. I mean, he's a bad guy, somebody needs to get rid of him, but I mean, that she's not going to find Ciri that way, as we know. 
because Siri, uh, as we hear from this old man, he's, she's still with the rats. Uh, but the big update we actually get here on Siri's side of the story is that Leah Bonehart is still tracking her. And he basically announces that he does successfully find her, that Bonehart is going to find her. There are no additional details that are provided on that, though, but that's uh, something that we were worried about from the previous chapter, and I, we don't know exactly how this is going to go down, but we know that they are going to meet this man that was hired to kill her. So that is a really bad sign, <laughs> obviously. So that was how the chapter opened up. We're hearing about some of these things from this old man that's telling the story as we're reading it to these children. And then the rest of the chapter where we follow Geralt and his company continues as it normally does. But I wanted to also talk about the book as a whole, since this is the final chapter and I already went through the summary. We, we now know ex everything that happens in this book. So I think this chapter, I want to start by saying that this chapter, I think it was very enjoyable. I really liked reading it. It was a little bit disappointing though, because there wasn't that much story progression. I felt, I found it very entertaining. It's just, we don't seem to have gotten much further. And I know a lot of new things happen and we learn some things, but there just wasn't that much progression. And I think when it comes to the whole book, it's very, how I feel about this book as a whole is similar to how I feel about this chapter. The story progression felt minimal, but I still liked the overall context. I thought it was a great read. It's just, when you think about it, chapter one started off right after Geralt and Dandelion began their travels to rescue Ciri. They've covered some ground, true. They've made new friends. They discovered that Ciri isn't really in Nilfgaard under Amir's clutches, in, in Amir's clutches, but it doesn't feel like Geralt and Ciri are much closer to a reunion than it did at the end of Time of Contempt. And that's the shitty thing, I think. I think it's not, and I don't want to even want to sound like I'm complaining about it. I mean, it is kind of a bummer because we really, obviously, you want to see what happens and you want them to be reunited. So you want that progress to be as expedited as possible. But I, I think it was still a very enjoyable book because all of the things that do take place are pretty entertaining and we do get to learn a decent amount, I think. Something else that I took away from this book was that Siri, from the beginning until now, from everything that we've seen, she seems to have gone through a lot of character development. We just didn't get to witness this advancement too closely. Like we spent very little time with her throughout Baptism of Fire, just little bits here and there and in some of the chapters like we didn't get to see siri at all in this chapter so she seems like she has changed a lot and not really for the better unfortunately but it doesn't really like i, I didn't feel like i was really getting to understand I, I i do get that she was with this band of outlaws who are killing and robbing people so that makes sense that she's going to be influenced by them but it, it felt like we were missing out on seeing this change take place if you know what i mean so that's how i felt about the book when it comes to the siri story uh and then yennefer's story in this book was actually very interesting to me the only thing was that it was super brief I think because she was missing for so long, it was really nice and exciting when we finally learned what happened to her, but it was just, it was so little. 
So I w- would like, hopefully in the next book, to be able to see what Yennefer's doing more than we did in this book. But yeah, we're going to have to wait and see what the Tower of Swallows actually is like. I mean, if it's because this book was so closely following Geralt, whereas um, in the next book it could be way different. Maybe we're not going to see Geralt that much, and then we're going to see a lot of Yennefer or a lot of Ciri. Maybe there's going to be some new characters introduced, but we'll we'll get to that soon. <laughs> so I want to move on and talk about this whole thing that we learned with Regis. So we've been learning a lot about Regis since we've met him. There are some characters you meet and then you don't really learn too much about them. But Regis, they do explain a good amount of stuff. So we learn a lot about vampire lore in general in this chapter. And this starts when Dandelion and Milva express their concerns to Geralt about being in the company of a vampire. So they acknowledge that he's eaten regular food with them, but they're worried he won't be able to control his cravings for blood. Because they don't know that much about vampires, and that makes sense because I think a lot of vampires don't make it obvious that they are a monster. You know, Regis was being kind of sneaky about it for the most part at first. I mean, he did some things that clearly showed that there was something up with him. But I mean, if you're not that familiar with how vampires work, Geralt was the one that discovered it, is what I'm trying to say. Like the ordinary people, are they're going to realize he's not a regular human that you're going to come across on a normal day, but they still weren't able to figure out that it, that he was a vampire. So what Geralt does is, um, because they're worried about this, he just suggests that they talk to him and they, just so that they can get some answers and some reassurance. And Dandelion is actually the one who brings this up, of course. And then Regis uncovers his experience with drinking blood. So blood to vampires in the Witcher world is like alcohol to humans. It intoxicates them and is used in social settings, but it is not needed for survival. Regis was addicted to alcohol for a long time, but after hitting rock bottom, he gave it up for good. He explains he was at his lowest when he was <laughs> when he was flying under the influence, like driving under the influence, that he was flying under the influence, and he crashed into a well, and then the villagers in this village that he crashed landed into, they beat him, they cut his head off, and they buried him. He spent 50 years in the grave reflecting, and after his body regenerated, he decided that he would just quit drinking blood altogether. It's funny, 50 years in the grave, like, it's not that big of a deal. He's very old. He's 428. Still a pretty good amount of time, though. I mean, I know 428 is really, really old, but 50 years. Like, I understand 50 years to a human is a significantly long time, but (laughs) even though he, I don't know, I guess it depends on how long vampires can live. Like, he's 428. He doesn't seem like he's an old, decrepit vampire, but... I mean, I I still think that sounds like a long time, even if you can live a long time. But I mean, just to be stuck underground doing absolutely nothing, whatever, though. (laughs) So some of the additional lore that we get to learn about when it comes to vampires, uh, they become invisible if they wish. They are invulnerable to fire, which ties into what we saw with him picking that horseshoe up from the burning coals. They can bewitch people, and also, really quick, now that I'm saying the thing about them bewitching people, I don't know if this applies to every single type of vampire in this world, because I know that there are different types. I think that most of these apply to the higher vampires, which Regis is a higher vampire. They never say exactly which classification of vampire he fits into, but he's 
we at least know that he's a higher vampire and these things that we learn are most i think most of them are only applicable to the higher vampires so yeah going back to what i was saying they can be witch people and place them under deep sleeps they can assume bat form and fly during full moons uh, humans bitten by vampires do not become vampires and vampires are not humans who have died and become resurrected and they are impervious to sunlight which he does kind of explain that they were not originally impervious to sunlight but they evolved over time and now that they can go out and do things during the day okay so that's the only thing that i have about the vampire stuff so I'll we'll move on and talk about this trance or prophecy that takes place with this girl that they saw in the refugee camp that is now uh, being escorted by Zoltan and his group. So the company comes across Zoltan and the rest of them. It's really great that we got to learn that they made it out of that camp alive, except for poor Caleb. Rest in peace, Caleb. That was actually a bummer. We didn't really get to know him that well, but I mean, that whole band of group or that whole band of dwarves was, they were, they were funny and they were just, they were likable characters. So it was a bummer that any of that, it would be sad to learn that any of them got killed. It would have been way more sad if Zoltan or Percival were killed because I mean, we know Zoltan better than all of them, but uh, Percival, the gnome was actually the one that we knew the second most. But yeah, that was a that was a huge bummer to learn about. So they have found more women and children to safely escort. If you remember um, not too long ago when they got to that refugee camp, they actually helped to reunite the women and children that they were escorting with their families. So they have since picked up more that they are helping out. So one of them was this young woman from the refugee camp that was on trial for witchcraft. Zoltan explains she got pretty badly burned when the wagon she was tied to caught fire, but they untied her before she was killed, but not before she suffered some pretty bad burns. The dwarves, of course, don't really know much about treating her wounds, so Zoltan asks Regis' assistance on that. Obviously, Regis is perfectly qualified to do that. He's a barber surgeon. Uh, Regis bewitches this girl into a sedated like state so that she won't be in pain while he redresses the burn wounds. They start to tell Zoltan that they're heading towards the druids in Du for help finding Ciri when the girl starts to prophesy. So some of the more notable things that she says uh, when they say that they're going to the druids for help, she says, no help, only blood, and a baptism of fire. Fire purifies, but also kills. This one was not very specific, of course, but it sounds like if the prophecy is real, the druids are not going to be able to help them find Ciri and they might get hurt or even killed along the way. One of the other things she says, he who has spilt blood and he who has drunk blood shall pay in blood. He who has spilt blood could maybe be Geralt because he's killed a lot. Never for nefarious reasons though, so I don't know. I also considered Ciri since she's been killing so much lately, but then I also thought about how it said he he who has spilled blood, not she. Although I don't know if that actually matters. I don't know <laughs> how uh, specific these prophecies are when it comes to the gen when it when it comes to gender. I don't. Maybe it, it could just automatically default to he, <laughs> and then they're really talking about a woman. But I mean, that was the one thing that made me think maybe it's not Siri. But another thing that also made me think maybe it wasn't Siri was because I don't know if she would be prophesizing about someone who isn't currently present. But they all. Are, they're, they're also all 
on a mission to find this person, so it's not totally irrelevant. I, I don't know. Not enough. Not enough uh, evidence. It's just too vague to really know for sure, at least right now. But I think that it would either be Geralt or Siri that that part was talking about. The, the part where she said he who is drunk blood is obviously Regis, unless and this, another member of the group has been doing something they haven't told us about, but we know for sure that Regis has drunk his fair share of blood, so we know that they're referring to, or she's referring to Regis when she says he who has drunk blood shall pay in blood. Another thing, she says even that which never dies shall die. Again, sounds like Regis. So I feel like he's doomed. I hope not, because he's very likable. And everybody that I have ever witnessed talk about Regis loves him. So it would be super tragic if anything bad happened to him. But I mean, he's he, if, if anybody in this group was gonna die, I don't want any of them to die, but if any, but if any of them were to, I think Regis is probably the least likely. <laughs> Because he is basically, it seems like he's immortal. I don't know if he lives like, you know, a few thousand years or if he really just does keep living forever unless something does kill him. I don't even know what could kill him. But it, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, It's a prophecy. They're always vague. So I guess we're just going to have to leave it at that for now. So it ends with her saying she sees a tower of swallows bound by ice. Not sure what that could mean or why she would be seeing that, but we know the Tower of Swallows is supposed to have a portal connected through the Tower of Gulls on Thaned that Ciri teleported through, but she didn't end up in the Tower of Swallows as we know she ended up in the frying pan. It just seems like it could be relevant to Ciri somehow since now the Tower of Gulls is destroyed. Nobody's used that portal in the past in the Tower of Gulls and it's destroyed so nobody is gonna be able to use it in the future. And that's another reason why I think she says he who has spilt blood shall pay in blood could be linked to Siri because uh, if the thing about the Tower of Swallows is relevant to her, then I guess that other part could also be relevant to her. I just, I hope not. But the thing that they were talking about at the beginning of the chapter, the old traveling man um, saying, basically just outright telling us that she's going to have a meeting with Leo Bonehart doesn't really bode too well. Geralt, however, he wasn't concerned, which kind of made me feel a little good in that moment, but <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll get into why it doesn't sound that hopeful later on. But he wasn't that concerned about the trance because he maintains the opinion that people who are placed in hypnotic trances are usually intercepting the thoughts of the hypnotist. So she thinks, I mean, I'm sorry, Geralt thinks that the girl was basically thinking or saying out loud something that she got from Regis's brain when he placed her under that sedated state. I don't really think that that's the case, but we'll get into that very shortly uh, in this next topic, the next part of the chapter that I want to get into actually. So Milva has this pregnancy and this is a pretty big deal. It was actually hinted at in chapter four she was throwing up in that chapter and they were talking about it when they were all hung over from the moonshine. So it seemed like it was just a hangover, but Zoltan said that she threw up a few days before. And even Geralt thinks about how he should have noticed sooner since she was throwing up, but they, or he should have noticed that she was pregnant because she was throwing up, but 
they were, I guess, all eating food that made them sick occasionally. Like Dandelion had thrown up a few times and Kahir had the runs and thought that he was dying. So he didn't actually think anything of it. But I guess once he learned, it was like one of those things like, oh, hindsight. Yeah, it was pretty obvious that that was going on. So at first, she's not set on whether she wants to have the baby or not. It'll be a problem for their travels either way. Because if she has it, she won't be able to continue on the journey after the pregnancy progresses too far. And if she doesn't have it, she's going to need a clean bed for at least a couple of weeks after taking the agent that terminates the pregnancy. She seems to be leaning more towards not having it, but after talking to Geralt, she decides to have it. And I'm not saying that Geralt necessarily influenced her to, or he wasn't trying to convince her to. It's just something about having that talk with him made her change her mind. But during their conversation, she actually discloses how it happened. So she was escorting a depleted Scoia'tael commando like she did, and they stopped overnight to rest. And when they stopped, two of the elves got together, and they had this whole attitude about how they might die soon. And that kind of influenced her to want to do it too. And then she did it with at least a couple of them. So she said that she was aware of the pregnancy when she decided to join Geralt, but she didn't know that terminating it would incapacitate her, so she was thinking that she might terminate it. And if things got too hard, she figured that Dandelion (laughs) would give up, which I don't think was uh, that weird for her to think. I think that that actually does sound likely. It hasn't happened, but... I don't blame her for thinking that way. She thought that Dandelion would probably give up since he's not accustomed to this outdoors lifestyle and she could just go back with him. So that was her reasoning for coming along even though she knew about the pregnancy. So the next day, Geralt and us learns that she decided to keep the baby when Regis pulls out the agent that he had prepared for her and he shows it to Geralt and he tosses it away. Because she's pregnant, though, Geralt and Regis decide it would be best not to continue their originally planned path through this dangerous swampy area that's riddled with monsters that have never even been identified. So they choose to cross the Yoruga, which unfortunately ends up resulting in the miscarriage. Going back to the trance, the one thing that she said that proves that this trance or the prophecy could be totally accurate she says within three days one shall die in the other and then within three days milva had a miscarriage it was clearly talking about that and since this was accurate it seems like the other parts of this prophecy should also be accurate but just haven't happened yet i don't know how this stuff works obviously it's left ambiguous but if that is the case if the one thing was accurate if that means everything else that she said is going to be accurate um yeah good luck regis (laughs) because at least a couple of those things sounded very much like they applied to him and they sounded bad i hope not i really hope not i really really love regis (laughs) okay so they Learn about these Lyrian and Rivian guerrilla counterattacks against Nilfgaard. This is actually pretty interesting. So the company runs into a group of traveling peasants who said they were previously captured by Nilfgaard and forced to fell trees, but were rescued by a unit of soldiers carrying out baboon attacks who serve the White Queen. 
Later, we we learn that they meant guerrilla attacks, and the White Queen is Queen Meva Valeria, who we, last we heard was MIA. It's been a while since we've heard anything about Queen Meva, but the last time we did hear anything about her, nobody knew what happened to her after Nilfgaard attacked Lyria. So the Lyrian and Rivian armies were decimated when the war first re- reignited, but not completely, as we now know. So the remaining armies actually joined together, and they're now fighting Nilfgaard outside of their own countries. While the company is discussing this, Regis brings up that Rivians are Geralt's countrymen. And Geralt corrects him and says he's not really from Rivia. He just chose that name to sound fancier and inspire more trust in clients. He was originally actually going to go with this really long, pretentious sounding name, but Vesemir talked him out of it, and it was actually kind of nice to hear about Vesemir again, albeit quite briefly. I think the really interesting thing, which comes at the end of the chapter, is that Meave knights him Geralt of Rivia, since the soldiers he fought with were Rivian. Uh, And she does this without having first heard him titled that way. She says, Geralt of where? And he says, of nowhere. And then he's knighted Geralt of Rivia. It's just such a super weird coincidence, but it's also pretty cool. So let's actually back up a little bit from the time where he was knighted and talk about what led up to that. So this whole battle for the bridge. The battle for the bridge, one of the most chaotic scenes in the whole book, starts when the company intercepts a ferry on the Yoruga River. That, that is a mouthful. A Yoruga River. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has trouble saying that, but I feel like I'm tripping over it every time I try to say it. So the Lyrians and Rivians who were just fighting with Nilfgaard wanted the ferry to get the retreating queen safely across the river. When they see that the boat's been taken and they're not letting them have the boat, they start shooting at them, which I thought was a little bit of an overreaction, but (laughs) that's what they did. And then Nilfgaard approaches on the banks and they also start shooting at them, which isn't really that shocking because Nilfgaard is extremely violent and they're just killing everybody. It's just, they're so destructive. Uh, luckily, the only member of the company who gets shot is Regis, who cannot die that way. He's completely fine after he gets shot. Sadly, though, their horses get shot. I don't know if they all died or exactly what happened to them. I know one of them jumped off the boat, but I hope they did die. I hate it when animals get hurt. It really, It's really shitty. I think everybody hates that, too, though. I'm not alone on that. <laughs> anyway, they eventually reach a bridge, and they get caught on a sandbar since they cannot steer the ferry because they have to duck to avoid the arrows from the soldiers. And then this is when Milva starts to miscarry. Regis tends to her, but because the Northerners are retreating from the Nilfgaardians, they realize they'll need to flee too. Since that's not really an option at the moment, because Milva is miscarrying, Geralt and Cahir rally the soldiers to stand their ground and fight the approaching Nilfgaardians. At first, Cahir doesn't want to fight his own people, kind of understandably, but he chooses to do so for Milva and the company. And I thought that this was really nice. Like, I understand his reluctance. He chose his new comrades over his old country and that he was seemingly quite loyal to in the past. So I thought that that was a really nice moment. I thought that was a, a, like a special thing that we got to see with Kahir because we don't know him that well. Like I was talking about earlier in the episode how even though we haven't known Regis for that long, we have learned a whole lot about him. And I think that's great. But with Kahir, he's super mysterious. We don't really know him that well. He doesn't talk that much either. And he he seems like he's a decent person. I know that he was an enemy at first, but 
um, when, the, when that moment happened, when he decides to choose his new comrades over his old country, uh, it was just, it was very special. I thought that was really cool of him. I, I, basically, I think what I'm saying is I respect Kahira a lot more by the end of this chapter, by the end of this book, than I did when the book started, when the chapter started even. So Geralt got to use his new special sword from Zoltan in this fight, and that's the first time that he got to use it since it belonged to him. He used it the one time um, in the... I can't remember which chapter was which now. I think it was chapter three, um, where he was fighting off those marauders who were attacking that young woman on that little farm. So that was also another cool thing that happened during this scene. And then right where the battle was taking place, there was a pile of pine branches that caught fire, which kind of trapped the northerners until Geralt moved it out of the way with his Ard sign. And then it sends fire and embers all around. And this is the first time we saw Geralt use a sign in a long while. It wasn't like he was using them left and right every single day, every single chapter back in the first few books, but he was using them more often. It's such a rare thing he used as his signs anymore. And I don't know if you remember this because it's been so long, but I used to always talk about the signs because I thought that they were so badass. And now it's a very rare thing, but that, that did make it a lot more exciting um, that we got to see him do that again because it's been so long. So anyway, this whole moment here was kind of symbolic as Geralt was essentially when the fire goes everywhere sorry I gotta I kind of got away from that for a second to talk about the signs but yeah he uses the ard the fire and the embers and the sparks are going everywhere and he's essentially passing through a baptism of fire which he thinks he was meant to do for Ciri so a lot of what happens during this battle is actually pretty cool it's a battle and I'm not saying I think battles are necessarily cool because people are getting killed and uh, violently killed, violently injured. So, but some of these things that happened were very interesting. So because of Geralt and Cahir, the Northerners defeat Nilfgaard in this battle. Uh, Geralt's efforts are acknowledged by Queen Meave herself, whose mouth was injured. She was missing teeth and she couldn't really talk that well. And she shows her gratitude by knighting Geralt. And that's how the chapter ends. That's how the book ends. So I thought it was all pretty cool. Well, not the whole chapter. I mean, I mean, Milva having a miscarriage, of course, wasn't cool. But I, th I thought that this scene was pretty cool. So for my closing thoughts, just got a few things here because uh, we weren't really left with not like any obvious cliffhangers anyway, but looking ahead to what we might see next or what I would hope to see. So or what we might expect, I guess, uh, when we next see Geralt and his company, I imagine they'll be continuing on to find the Druids, even though in that prophecy, she said that there would be no help. Uh, hopefully they still continue on. I don't think they're going to listen to a prophecy. <laughs> Obviously they're still going to continue on, but hopefully that that, at least that part of it was incorrect, even though the part about, uh, Milva was correct. The, however, it was worded. Some, some, something will die, and some. I forget how they said it. I just said it. It's in my notes, but I don't feel like scrolling up <laughs> anyway. But um, Milva will now probably be able to continue the entire journey. Uh, sad that she's able to do that because of what happened. But I mean, I guess it's a good thing at least that since that did happen, something that comes out of it, something good comes out of it, and that being that she's gonna not have to 
drop off somewhere at some point once her pregnancy gets further along. So she will be able to continue with them. I don't know if she's going to need some time to recover after what happened, but I guess we're going to have to see how that's explored in the upcoming book. And then I expect we'll soon see Ciri's encounter with Boneheart. It's very nerve-wracking. Hopefully she kicks his ass. Hopefully the rats and her kick his ass. And I'm, I haven't really found myself rooting for the rats because they're, they seem like they are pretty shitty people. <laughs> I know they're kids. I know they're all very young. And young people are not really capable of making the best decisions a lot of the time. But I don't know. I'm kind of thinking about my own <laughs> myself. I shouldn't say that. That's not really nice. I think about myself because I was so dumb when I was like when I was a teen. Yeah, I was dumb. So <laughs> I just assume that they're doing these horrible things because they're young and dumb. And I feel like that's actually just being nice instead of saying like they're assholes and I hate them. <laughs> but uh, I am rooting for them to take care of Boneheart because I'm I don't want Siri to get killed. Hopefully they, they do that, and then Siri is not really in any immediate danger like she seems to always be. But, yep, again, we're going to have to wait and see how that's explored in the next book. And hopefully we get to spend more time with Yennefer and perhaps check out how she plans to hunt Vilgefortz. Hopefully she doesn't really make that much progress in hunting Vilgefortz and figures out that he doesn't have Siri somehow. I'm sure she has her ways, her means with magic but I'm not quite sure. We'll find out soon, though. Well, hopefully chapter one of Tower of Swallows has a lot of stuff. A lot of progression, unlike this book did. (laughs) But it was a great book. I really enjoyed it, and I really appreciate you uh, listening to these episodes where I go through this book. Um, And if you've been listening the whole time, like through the entire series up to this point, then I... I really do appreciate that. So thank you. Okay, that is all I have. So just to let you know, in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you again so much for joining, and I will catch you all in the next episode.